Is that what I'm saying? Rough trade radio. 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 Hello and welcome back to the Rough Trade podcast. Hope you're all really, really well. It's been a couple of weeks or so since we've had a normal show. Um, still recovering from our Albums of the Year announcement last week, but it absolutely went off. Thank you so, so much for all of the amazing feedback we have had online so far. I'm sure you'll all agree, whatever order you place them in, it's a pretty magnificent list of music this year. If you are late to the party, do not worry. You can catch up on all things Albums of the Year over on our brand new blog. It's blog.roughtrade.com. And of course, you can also listen back to last week's episode. This week, though, and we are shining the spotlight on somebody who is no stranger to you. However, we are exploring a side to him that perhaps you are a little bit unfamiliar with. I chatted to author John O'Connell on his brand new book, documenting the 100 books that changed and shaped David Bowie's life and career. That's coming up in 5 to 1. Rob's also back with Roundup and George is back with news from NYC. Plus, we are playing the all-important new release favourites. First up though, and Sports Team and the UK Six Piece have a new single on the loose. It's called Fishing and it's out now on 7 Inch in the UK and arriving early December in the US. Described as a mix between Parquet Courts, Pavement and The Fall, it would be pretty criminal not to show this off to you. So full of energy, attitude and distorted sounds, this is Fishing.
was sports team being suitably great. Next and the hottest new album out this week comes on a Rough Trade exclusive turquoise vinyl. It's from Tinder Sticks and it's called No Treasure But Hope. So three years on since their last album, it casts fresh light on the band's core qualities. It's beautiful, lush and warm in its sound and their 12th album in total, the band having put out their first music back in 1991, of course. Um, this collection of songs represents Tinder Sticks rediscovering what they can achieve. And yeah, it's just so, so great. Check this one out. This is Pinky in the Daylight. I was slipping into that grave 
was tinder sticks next up and scouring the horizon we find agnes obel and the forthcoming new record myopia so renowned for her independence and originality in making music this is set to be a really really stunning return new single island of doom is a personal very haunting song it's very intricate and full of pitch down piano and also lots of choirs which i find really really beautiful um it's definitely a song to get lost in
So that was the wonderful Agnes Obel. Next, and I can't not shine a light on the new Michael Kiwanuka album. What with albums of the year and albums of the month, the chance to fully spotlight this record has kind of slipped by a bit. But I think I did mention it with Nige uh, last week. 
but man, it has been on repeat for me. It's an incredibly cinematic record on a huge scale. He's really jumped up since 2016's Love and Hate. It's a dreamlike journey enhanced by the returning production team, of course, of Danger Mouse and Inflow. The guitars are amazing on this. The whole orchestral sound is incredible. It's really a modern epic and I just adore it, as you can probably tell. Um, It made our top 100 albums of the year and I haven't heard anybody say a bad word about this record. So here is a taster for those of you who perhaps haven't discovered it yet. This is Michael Kiwanuka and Hero.
That was Michael Kiwanuka. What an incredible album. Next up and over to Rob for the latest in the land of reissues. Hello, it's Rob. Time to round up some of them reissues. I hope you missed me. God knows I missed you. We've got to make up for some lost time, like the last 60, 70 years of uh, recorded music, which ends up being um, my niche, that, that corner of music, which is all the stuff that didn't happen in 2019. Is, you know, just waving goodbye to that stinking decade. Well, it could have been a good one for you. At us, was it a good decade for you? Right, let's focus on some Jangle stuff today. Let's focus on some Jangle re- releases because it seems to have worked into a kind of narrative. Oh, don't let, don't let anybody tell you that um, you can't make it big on that jangly indie sound because we got some stuff that are, you know, guys who need to be reevaluated. But if we're really going to shoot for the stratosphere, then we're going to follow REM's model. Don't let anybody tell you that if you're a fan of those big star guitars that you can't be playing Enorma Domes because REM did it and they've only just reissued and they're celebrating 25 years of Monster, which is their glam rock record. You know, after they were like, yeah, we get it. You like our uh, soppy stuff and you also like the jangle stuff. But guess what? We're going to rock out a little bit. So Bill Berry, he's the drummer. Mike Mills, Bucky and Stipe got together and uh, I think it's probably their most fun record. We're leading with What's the Frequency, Kenneth, King Comedy, and we've got Crush Your Violin. It's a a banger and that came out. You should pick that up. Um, So some bands, they don't quite get to the REM levels. Motorboy, Motorcycle Boy were one of those bands. Scottish, on like a C86 thing. They were on Chrysalis and then Rough Trade. Then they were on John Peel's Festive 50. Then they all had, they're all at loggerheads, so they just didn't release their record Scarlet until 2019, (laughs) baby. And they put out Scarlet, and it's just a wonderful little indie pop record. What more can I say? It's absolutely Loaded with hooks. All of these records I'm going to chat to you about are loaded with hooks. Like <laughs> REM. Motorcycle Boy aren't getting to the Enormodome, I'm afraid. Sorry. Odd, isn't it? The rugby, the town rugby, the place rugby, near like Wigan, up north and that. Odd that it had like a psych scene going on. But, you know, this is the town that produced Spaceman Free, which then produced Spiritualized. And then if you want Sonic Boom... Anyway, a band that kind of maybe sort of doesn't get recognized with those sort of guys is uh, Cogs of Time. And um, I guess this is their debut record. It might not be. Time Waits for No Man has just been reissued by the people at Easy Action. Uh, These guys uh, set up the Reverberation Club because, you know, all these guys liked 13 Floor Elevators. And uh, they used to share headline duties with uh, Spaceman Free. So it was a pretty happening time. You know what, like, this sounds like the kind of lo-fi garage rock psych stuff that bands like Alalaz and Co. and the Black Lips are, like, still perfecting to this day or trying to perfect. Cogs of Time did it back in 1986, lads. Um, Anyway, do check that one out. Now I want to sort of finish up with some of that chef's kiss quality indie pop jangle from the states i mean this is the sort of stuff that you 
would think would have been one of those C86 bands. No, no, no. While um, grunge was happening, some of the guys in the US, they were, they were after that that big star sound. They, was, they were doing teenage fan club things. They were doing early primal scream shizzle. Um, the Springfields, who um, kind of were around 1986 to 1991, put out a few things, Sarah Records and all that light. They were around during those sort of eras. That Paisley Underground, let's kind of call it a blip because although it's kind of mentioned in folklore, I, I don't think that it's a niche one. Anyway, uh, the Springfields is uh, the singles, 1986 to 1991, is a collection brought out by Slumberland on, as part of their archive series. Now, the band's headed by Rick Menk and Paul Chastain, who would then go on to be in Velvet Crush, who did some really, really nice, nice quality pop music, including a cover of uh, Gene Clark and, well, Gene and Dillard Clark's Why Not Your Baby, which, in a, in a little sync, do check out that Gene Clark No Other reissue because it's probably one of the best of the year. Anyway, this is like forty ninety nine from the shop. Pick it up and it's front to back with perfect pop tunes. This track's called This Perfect Day. Right back. 
Big thanks as ever to Rob. Five to one next. And I chatted to author John O'Connell about delving into the library list of one of music's most innovative and iconic stars. Five to one, baby. One in five. No one here gets out of So, John, welcome to the Rough Trade podcast and a big congratulations on your new book, Bowie's Books. It's a really, really fascinating document, not only exploring the titles um, within David Bowie's now famed list, but it also explores him as a man and a performer um, and a personality. Um, I just kind of wanted to start maybe back at the beginning and discuss your relationship with Bowie and being a fan of his. I know that you mentioned in the introduction that you've been a fan since you were 12 years old. Yeah, so I'm the kind of fan who, well, I, mean, I got into him when I was around yeah, 11, 12, so it would have been Let's Dance, which is quite a controversial time to become a Bowie fan. I mean, some, as people I'm sure will remember, there was a lot of snobbery among old Bowie fans yes. um, towards, shown towards people like me who'd kind of arrived and he, and he, you know, he'd broken through. He'd gone mainstream. He had blonde hair like the police, and Duran <laughs> Duran. And suddenly, you know, he'd stopped being this kind of maverick on pop's cutting edge, or you know, seemingly, and had, you know, adopted the the, the the styles and habits of 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 his contemporaries and peers. And which was, I think, a lot a shock for people who'd kind of, you know, been through the low heroes lodger years and and had a very secure sense of what they thought David Bowie was but yeah so for me you know the, the really the first thing was seeing him in the Let's Dance video and China Girl and um and that uh, you know so that period which was a tricky period because obviously he followed up Let's Dance and I love Let's Dance I, I defend it to anybody mm. but he followed it up with two really bad records so it was quite a hard time being a Bowie fan during the 80s and keeping the flame burning yeah um because you, you know you got a lot of flack from your friends. I mean, yeah. there, there was this awareness that Bowie was an important figure, and we should all bow down towards him. But also, you know, the, the, a sense that his best days were behind him, and really, mm. you should move on and be into the Smiths, or whatever. <laughs> which I was as well. But um, yeah, and it was so it's interesting that it wasn't until much later that he he clawed back the acclaim that he'd lost yeah. uh, during those years when he wasn't producing very good work. Yeah. Um, the list was published, was it in 2013 or shortly after the VNA? I think it was shortly exhibition? after because it, it was, well, at, at the London exhibition, um, a, a selection of the books was suspended from the roof. I think the list wasn't published until it, it, it finished its run in London and it went to Ontario. Okay. And it was to coincide with its opening in Ontario. I think it was a sort of PR move to um you know to, to drum up interest in in the canada show and um said so that yeah that's when it's but so it kind of just fills out the the selection that people kind of already knew right. about and um so were you aware of this is possibly sounds like a silly question considering right. you're such a big fan of his but were you aware of his huge love for books before it was kind of much more publicized with the publication of this list and the exhibition and obviously following his death. 
because you mentioned in the book that a lot of people were quite surprised that he was a reader or that he read so much. Yeah, I think unless you were a, a, a fairly big fan, you probably wouldn't wouldn't have been aware if your if your exposure to, to him had been the big hits, then mm. you wouldn't uh, you know you wouldn't have any reason to think that he read any more than any other pop star. But but I think if you if you were a fan, then you knew that um, you know he he took what he'd taken a lot from. He'd obviously mm. taken a lot from the Beats. Yeah, and 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 that he'd you know been you know an avid reader of books about the occult. I mean that you know that much I knew, and. Um, and you know he sprinkled literary allusions through his work, so you know it wasn't it wasn't a big surprise. I don't think he I don't think he hid it. I think he advertised it more towards the end of his life. I yeah. think his his lyrics become much more literary in inverted commas on, on the final two albums, the next day and Black Star. Yeah, I mean you know they they're, they're, they take on a altogether yeah more kind of somber. Um, weighty um, feel. The bit that stuck out to me in in what you were writing was that he carried around this kind of library of 1,500 books, which seems... Yeah, there is that, yes. Hugely, yeah, yeah. you know, a massive amount of books to, to carry around with you, particularly when you're travelling around America on a train. And I suppose as much as we assume and know that many artists, musicians draw influence from huge amounts of literature and visual yeah. art, etc., that is quite a dedication to... A particular form, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I think books were particularly special to him, and I, th- I think his, his his love of books was nurtured quite early. Um, he um, used to work in Soho at an advertising agency, and I think in his lunch times there are stories about him popping down to Tottenham Court Road and and, and going through all the secondhand bookshops. And I, th- I think the the romance of the book was always something that was very alive for him. And I suppose it's important to remember that for, for all of that generation, because I think, you know, I don't think he was un- unique in being a big reader. I think people probably just did read more. But I think in those days also there was a certain kind of pride in having a row of kind of orange penguin spines on your shelf if you went around to people's houses, you know, that marked them out as, mm. as you know, sort of cultured people. And, yeah. and, and, that, and that was definitely a world that he kind of wanted to, to be a part of and saw himself as a part of. I think. Yeah. I really, really like how the book's presented. Um, it kind of reminds me a bit of how we work at Rough Trade in terms of having, um, you know, a song that accompanies the book and then you then say you might also like to read if you like this, but you might, you know, it's kind of that that recommendation yeah. kind of culture, which is really nice. And each uh, book comes with a illustration as well yeah. in the book, which yeah. is really lovely too. Um, did you kind of have to revisit a lot of albums when you're writing the book to pair the songs with the with the books. Is that quite a careful process? I did actually. In fact, I had them all laid out in front of me while I was writing so that I could get a sense in my head of of where you know where the songs fitted and which ones mm. would might be useful at any given point. And um it was quite hard. I mean some sometimes it was incredibly easy and yeah. uh, and again at other times I was thinking, what? <laughs> um or there was a song that might work atmospherically for the book but not have any direct literal relationship to it mm. um, and, and there are probably instances where people think what but that, in, <laughs> in those cases that's why it's yeah. because yeah. something about the book made me think of that song yeah your interpretation and I, and I, would, I, you know, and I wanted other people to, to perhaps to see if, yeah. if they felt that too yeah are there any um, like books in there that you particularly enjoyed kind of delving into and reflecting on in the context of Bowie 
picking well, it. It's interesting you ask that because one of the books that I actually found most difficult on the list to read is also the book that I th think is one of the most important on the list and is is um, was was a very important book for him. And mm. it's a by Edward Bulwer Lytton. It's called Zanoni, and it's like an early science fiction novel, nineteenth um, century novel. Um, and Edward Bulwer Lytton was a fascinating figure. He was this. Um, aristocratic, bisexual, opium-addicted dandy who um, actually outsold Dickens and Walter Scott. He was a massive deal in between about 1830 and 1860. You know, sold thousands of books. And he's now completely unread. The only way we remember him is because he originated the line, it was a dark and stormy night. And and the pen is mightier than the sword. That was him mm -hmm. as well. And, um, and and Zanoni was obviously a really important book for him because it, it, it's about, um, uh, it, it's got a cult hinged and it's almost like a sort of Marvel comic in novel form. It's a sort of, Zanoni, Zanoni has these supernatural powers and he's a member of the Rosicrucian elect. And Bubby was very interested in a particular kind of um, worldview, a sort of cosmological idea of, um, the certain people being elect and ad, or adepts and having powers which they sort of diffused through the lower strata of society and it's it's an idea you find in Tibetan Buddhism which he was very interested in and um, and, and I and, you know, in lots of different kind of occult um, religions and, uh, and and yeah Zanoni kind of crystallizes a lot of that mm -hmm. and um, and bits of Zanoni kind of radiate out into the other books on the list like it's like wormholes kind of open up between Zanoni and these other books like oh, wow. Angela Carter's um, um, Nights at the Circus and you know so so that was interesting it was finding a book that actually made me realize there was a link there were there were, there were links and patterns that I hadn't been expecting that's mm. a very long answer I'm sorry. no no it's great how long did it take you in total then to to write this book I think it took about eight or nine months. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that seems really quite fast. <laughs> well, actually, it was it was faster than I would perhaps have liked. Yeah. Okay. I could have done with another six months, but it. Um, I, you know, every, everyone says that. Don't they? Yeah. Um, I just want to finish off by just talking about where you mention in the book that you actually met David Bowie and interviewed him. Yeah, that was you know a moment of kind of enormous <laughs> professional pleasure. Um, it was in 2002. That's right, yeah. It was just after his album Heathen had come out and he, around that time, he was curating the Meltdown Festival on the South Bank and I was working for Time Out at the time and um, I think Time Out was the you know sponsorship partner or something like that. So I went out to New York and, and met him, which was terrifying. <laughs> um, and... Um, he, but he was very friendly and polite and, um, and you know, put me on my ears. I think yeah. he was very used to meeting people who yeah. had been kind of obsessive fans. And, yeah. And, you know, he, but, um, yeah, so that was, that, that was great. I wondered if, because you mentioned, which I found quite interesting, that he had learned to kind of be the persona that he thought that the person interviewing him was expecting or wanted, um, which I guess is a bit of a trick. But I yeah. wondered after kind of doing this project and looking at the books and kind of obviously in great detail relating that to who he was as a person yeah. and how it influenced him, whether that's kind of changed how you might look back on the time that you met him and how he was and who he was as a person? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think 
this is this sounds a bit oblique, but it is an answer to the question. He there is lots and lots of David Bowie biographies, and you know, lots of them are brilliant. But something I've always found when after I've read them is that you don't really come away with a very firm sense of who he actually was. He was quite mm. a sort of slippery, mercurial figure, mm. and I think deliberately so. He was aware of that side of himself, I think, and um, and he was always sort of balancing. The, the, the ordinary kind of David Jones bit of his persona with this sort of heightened, dandified David Bowie, mm. you know, bit, you know, the, the, the armor that he put on to face the world and sell his albums. And um, yeah, I, I think one of, one of the interesting things about the list is I think it gives you quite a good insight into who he actually was. It's mm. sort of much more intimate and revealing about him than you might think. I mean, I think it's quite an honest list. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's much on it that's sort of performative or, or fake. I, mm. I think, I, I, you know, I, I think these were the books that he liked. Yeah. And, you know, it makes, it makes sense to me that he would have liked these books. I don't think it's weird. I guess it just, in a way, the books humanise him a bit more, I suppose. Has it done that for you in your mind? Like, yeah, potentially? They, yeah, they, they really have humanised him for me um because i think it's easy to with stars of that caliber to think that they're not quite ordinary people or to think and he, i think he, the, the root of it he was an ordinary person i think in the, the the last 10 years of his life he lived a fairly ordinary life you know he mm. concentrated his energies on being a, a husband and a father and he withdrew from public life and um and, and you know i, I think entered a period of reflection of which this list I think is is the result I think mm. I think this list I can see it kind of brewing in his head as he kind of sat in his flat in New York looking over his life and yeah. um so that, I, I like that about it I like the idea of, of him of it being his personal kind of overview and yeah you know, this is this is what I am this is what made me you know this is these are the tools I use to, to construct myself yeah John thank you so so much for chatting to me today it's a um, pleasure. the book is out now um and I always ask people to pick a song to play us out at the end of an interview which is probably quite a daunting task given the wealth of music you could pick or the wealth of Bowie songs you could pick but maybe I'll just ask you to pick your favorite song um, my favourite song is actually Word on a Wing from okay. Station to Station because I think it's it's just this beautiful hymn-like, um, you know, I think it's a, it, it articulates his the spiritual quest that I think he was on perfectly and um, and I think at the time he wrote it he was in quite a kind of agonised state and, um, you know, wondering where he was going and... Um, what he believed and um and it's a, it's a very honest heartfelt song and, and very beautiful and he sings it beautifully john thank you very very much
At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, simply hang up or press the pound key for further options. Oh my God, guys, it's me, George from Rough Trade NYC. Can you believe it's the end of November? Didn't it feel like just the other day we were all like hanging out in the pool, drinking margaritas, and now we're freezing our asses off and prepping for what we in retail call the fourth quarter. That means this is like the end of the year. We're bringing in all the product. We're stacking the shelves. We're packing the bins because this is when you want to come out and buy some gifts, right? You want to buy some presents for your loved ones, your family, your friends, you know? You need to pick up something for your nephew, little Jimmy, or your old uh, grandpa Al, or your, you know, friend Linda. I don't know. Like, we have something for everyone here. I think that is undisputable. And I'm here to tell you about a few different things, a few gift ideas for you. So first and foremost, let's talk about a brand new Rough Trade exclusive, and that would have to be Gorilla Toss's new EP, What Would The Odd Do? Which is a great question. I mean, I'll tell you one thing, Gorilla Toss, they are an odd band, and they're capable of almost anything. Um, they are from Boston, but are now a New York City-based band. They do a really frenetic, proggy, noisy, funky, kind of like a art rock you think a little bit of deer hoof with like you know um weird todd rungren on you know heroin vibe um i don't know it's it's very bizarre and but also very catchy and you know um it's if you ever get a chance go see gorilla toss live i don't know if they've made it over there yet but you should and we have a red vinyl version of this 100 copies very exclusive get in on this pick it up Go to the website. You can order one for yourself. I think you will be very happy about that. Did you remember that Black Friday is coming up? I know it's not as big a thing in the UK, but over here it's, you know, you see those videos of people like storming into Best Buy and trampling each other. It gets pretty bananas over here in America because, you know, we're weird and we like bargains and this Black Friday is it's probably the the lineup of exclusive releases might be one of my favorites so far. I'm just really checking off a list of how many things I got to get and it is definitely going to make a nice dent in my savings account. Um I'm already actually in negative balance, but you know, suffice to say I'm going to buy some stuff. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. No regrets. Um, let me tell you about three picks that I think I'm just going to highlight. The first one being a release, a reissue. Actually, this was never available. This is an album by Tamba 4. Tamba 4 were a bossa nova kind of pop act from the late 60s that put out some albums on CTI. CTI was this very kind of slick, uh, funky jazz label that Creed Taylor started. All their album covers are really like aesthetically pleasing and um, just very compelling. I'm like a CTI fanatic. You know, some of it can be a little, some of it like tips the scale into cheesy, but most of it is amazing. And a lot of it has been sampled to death in the hip hop world. And uh, Tamba 4, this is just really exciting because it's just was never 
released for some reason an album by the name of California Soul. Has an amazing cover, looks awesome. I'm very excited about that. If you're into, if you know, as the winter progresses and gets us all colder, want an escape with a light, breezy Brazilian pop record from the 60s. You will not, you will not regret it. Next up, throw this one in like the weird, weird factor column. William Shatner doing a cramps cover. Yes, William Shatner does Garbage Man. Um, I don't know who wanted this. I don't know who asked for it, but I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I probably want to own it. It's got a pretty amazing cover because it's basically the um, cover of, uh, what is it? Um, Bad Music for Bad People with like William Shatner's face instead of the classic mohawked. Um, cover we've known and loved and it's on neon yellow vinyl it's a 12 inch and it will be his version of garbage man on one side the original on the other side so weird but you know that's i come i've come to expect that for both william shatner and the cramps uh, last but not least this one i'm excited about dr john as you guys all know has recently passed away it's a shame. Such a huge, legendary force in music. Um, I got so deeply into Dr. John about 15 years ago when I went to New Orleans. And this was an album that was available on CD. And then it was out of print. I have not seen it on vinyl for a long time. And they're reissuing it. It's his second album called ba Babylon. So many people are familiar with his first album. Um, you know, The Night Tripper or um, Gree Gree, rather. And that was a, a, I think, had much more impact in terms of awareness, classic album awareness. Um, but this one kind of slipped under the radar. And it's definitely a more challenging listen than Grigri. It's, it's a little more psychedelic. It's a little more political. Um, and it's just, it's a solid record. I'm so glad it's getting put out on vinyl and it's going to be on this crazy splatter colored, which to me just fits perfectly with the psychedelic haze that this album seems to, you know, uh, bring across. So I'm going to play out with a track off of this one this is probably my favorite track, but the whole album is worth a hell of a listen. And this is Black Widow Spider by Dr. John. Guys, see you next time. Later. In our candle cafe.
Cheers, George. Absolutely love that record. RIP, of course, the wonderful Dr. John. Huge thanks also to John O'Connell for chatting to me. Bowie's books is out now, not just for the bona fide Bowie fan, but anybody who is interested in the influence of reading on a man and his art. It's time now to close this episode out. And I have to say, I have got a pretty good one for you this week. So Patty Smith is not only trending in the world of Rough Trade for her brilliant new book, Year of the Monkey, but Rough Trade UK has also managed to nab a pretty sweet Rough Trade exclusive edition of Horses on LP. So a staple in our essentials range, Horses is the landmark record of an artist whose creative legacy is totally undisputed. She's a hero of mine, loved by everybody at Rough Trade, and there shouldn't be a record collection omitting her work. Up for pre-order, don't miss the UK exclusive clear vinyl edition. Thank you so, so much for listening. Please leave us a review if you've been enjoying the show the last few weeks. And yeah, I will catch you in the next one. And this is Patty Smith and Birdland. Bye. father died, we left him a little farm in New England, 
All the long black funeral cars left the scene and boys just standing there alone, looking at the shiny red tractor, him and his daddy, just to sit inside and circle the blue fields and grease the night. As if someone had spread butter on all the fine points of the stars, cause when he looked up they started to slip. And then he put his head in the crooks of his arms and he started to Such a naked joy that the sun burned around his lids, and his eyes were like two suns. White lids, white opal, seeing everything just a little bit too clearly. And looked around, and there was no black ship in sight, no black funeral cars, nothing except for him. The raven fell on his knees, looked up, and cried out.
and this movie is mine. So he cried out as he stretched the sky, pushing it all out like Lake Dex cartoon. Am I all alone? This generation, we're just dreaming of animation night and day. It won't let up, it won't let up, and I see them coming in. Oh, I couldn't hear them before, but I hear now. It's a Ships that were moving in streams of them, and he put up his hands and he said, It's me, it's me, I'll give you my eyes, take me up. Oh, now please take me up. I'm healing, raving, wait for you. Please take me up, don't leave me here. The sun, the sign, the cross, like the shape of a tortured woman, the true shape of a tortured woman, the mother standing in the doorway. The sons, no longer presidents, but prophets. They're all dreaming. They're gonna bear the prophet. He's gonna run through the fields, dreaming. Animation is all gonna split a skull. It's gonna come out like a black bouquet, shining like a fist that's gonna shoot him up like, like, like Mohammed Baksa. Take him up, 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 up. Go ahead, go up, up, go Shadow 
Rough Trade Radio. Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do. So if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes.